This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. That you may eat and drink, verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. So here where it says Satan desired, it literally means Satan demanded Simon Peter to sift him as wheat. How did he make that kind of demand on Peter? Because Peter was screwing up all over the place. Peter was making mistakes that would take him out of the blessing of God. And therefore, just like you and me, when we step outside of God's protection, when we step outside of the law of love, Satan has every right to attack us. He has every right to bring affliction, persecution, uh, the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things to try to take us down. And that's what Jesus is saying. But there must be something unique about it because he says Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But, notice what the response is. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. So what's the answer when Satan wants to makes a demand on you to sift you like wheat? Faith. In other words, keeping your attention and your focus on the Word to be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. It all comes back to the same thing, and that is keeping your attention on God's Word. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. You know, the, the <laughs> you know what this says to me? This says that Jesus has one great hope, and that is Peter is going to change. There's a conversion experience that's going to change Peter. Once and for all. And he said, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. I have no doubt that he means this, sincerely. I'll go with you to, to the death. If they put us in prison, I'll be in the prison right next to you. If they put us on the cross, I'll be there right next to you. And he, Jesus, said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice, three times deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script and shoes lacked you anything, I'm going too far. Let's, uh, well, skip down to verse 38. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. In other words, they're still thinking, okay, we're going to fight. If we're going to be betrayed, if somebody's going to betray Jesus, then they're going to come after us. Okay, Peter has already jumped out there. I'll stick with you. He's thinking about a fight. I'm willing to fight with you. I'll fight to the death. I'll die if necessary. And then they go to the to the Mount of Olives, and they start to pray. Let's skip down a little bit, and it says in verse 47, it says, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, 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 that's a lot of people, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of, the, son of man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them, John tells us it was Peter, and one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Folks, I want you to understand, there's a big crowd. They're outnumbered. These guys have weapons. They're Roman soldiers. There's no way they can win this fight. Peter is not a coward. He pulls his sword and he swings at this guy's. I think he swung at his head and he just missed. He got his ear. Who aims for the ear? (laughs) 
Peter can't do anything right. He's not a coward. I want you to get this. He's not some coward. Now, we're going to see him deny the Lord in just a moment. But he's not some coward. He's not some guy that made this promise, and now he's not going to keep it no matter what. He really meant it. He's that committed to the Lord. He's willing to fight and throws the first punch, so to speak, swings the first sword. Verse 51, and Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far. In other words, put your swords up. This is not a physical fight. And touched his ear, touched the servant's ear, and healed him. I love this. Jesus touched the ear, healed the guy's ear. I mean, he could have looked at him and said, well, you're in the wrong crowd, serves you right. <laughs> but he touched his ear and healed him. Then they took him, verse 54, they took him and led him and brought him to the, the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. Now, um, I don't know, I, I don't really want to spend the time to, to read through a lot of this stuff. Well, yeah, I do. Uh, verse 55, And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, they were set down together. Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid, that means young girl, beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. Now, can I ask you a question? Why is that a crime? They're going to trump up charges against Jesus that he blasphemed and said that he'd destroy the temple and all this other kind of stuff that none of it was wound up being true in the way they presented it at least. So what's the crime if he was with him? They don't have any reason to bring him up on charges. If they get the leader, what do they need the followers for? What's he afraid of? Verse 57, and he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Now, folks, if the problem is you were in one of Jesus' services, everybody was in one of Jesus' services somewhere along the way. And how would these people know that they were with him if they hadn't been around Jesus too? Jesus was that kind of famous. Everybody has been in and out of his ministry or his services or his preaching and teaching in some way or another as Jesus traveled around. Jesus has been in Jerusalem for almost three years, up to this point, almost three years off and on. And every time he goes to Jerusalem, he does great miracles. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's talking about it. What's the big deal? Why couldn't Peter said, yeah, I saw you there too. And after a little while, another saw him and, and, said, uh, and, and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. I think it's Luke that tells us, uh, I'm sorry, I think it's Mark that tells us that, uh, that he swore and cursed Jesus and said, no, I don't know him and don't have anything to do with him. Then the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Verse, 50, verse 61 is one of the most heartbreaking scriptures that there is for me. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. I want you to understand something, folks. This is not something that they were in two different places. The reason Peter was there was because that's where they were holding Jesus before they brought him before the council. Jesus is, here, is hearing everything that's going on. This is not something that was done somewhere else that Peter could even come back later and say, no, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. 
And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Here's what I want you to get about Peter. When it comes to being a doer of the word, when it comes to building your house on the rock, it wasn't the armies that came out after Jesus that scared him. It was the little girl and two other people. We sometimes think that if we can handle the big things, we can handle all of it. But very often it's the little things that offend us and trip us up. Now, if Jesus offended people, and it shows us the example of how things worked in Jesus' ministry, and Peter's a good example of how, how uh, we should guard against offenses and, and so forth, and the things that we need to stand against and, 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 prevail, uh, and uh, resist as far as the, the cares of this world and so forth are concerned, how did Jesus earn the title Prince of Peace? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. And this is the example that I want you to get. When it came to principle, when it came to the truth of the word, Jesus stuck to the truth and it didn't matter to him who was offended and he didn't try to compromise. And folks, please, please, please understand this. Compromising the truth of the word, compromising the principles that we know to be true from the word never help. If you try to appease somebody, if somebody says that you're one of these faith nuts or whatever, uh, part of a cult or whatever, you try to appease that, you try to reason with them, it's not going to do anything but ruin your own testimony. I've seen so many pastors that try to keep people from leaving their church and they wind up losing more because then the people that were going to stay see that the, the guy doesn't have a backbone, so they leave too. Jesus' life is chronicled in the, in the Gospels for a reason. It's so that we can see how to handle things in this life. Jesus never compromised when it came to the truth of the word. Neither should we. And that's what it means when Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Prince of peace with a sword? What does he mean? He means the sword, the dividing line, is the word of God. It cannot be anything else. Somebody said, as one of the founding fathers, I don't know who to credit this, but somebody said, I think it's Benjamin Franklin, he said, in principle, be unmovable and everything else be flexible. I think that's a good pattern to follow. Paul in Romans chapter 9, uh, oh, it's the last five or six verses of the chapter, he talks about Isaiah's prophecy where he said, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Israel stumbled over Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to do it according to their traditions. But when it came to the truth of the word, and Jesus was the word made flesh, that was the uncompromising position. The word of God has to be true in your life or else you're going to fall when the storms of life come. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing School is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the Word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. When you can find God's words on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's Word says, you've just found God's will in that area. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive. 
just minutes off the 5 freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Okay, Matthew 17. Did you find it yet? Let's start reading in verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, that means tax money. Every time you came to the temple, you had to pay a, a, a small tax. That's what it's talking about here. They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Does not your master pay tribute? And he said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him or held him back, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, Of strangers. Then Jesus said, Then are the children free. In other words, he's saying, We don't owe the tax. Thanks a lot, Peter. I wish you'd learn to keep your mouth shut. We don't owe this tax. That's what he's proving. He's proving we are not liable for these tax, this tax. We don't owe it. We're Jews. The temple was made for us. We don't owe the tax. But you said that we pay the tax. So what does Jesus do? Does he exercise his rights and say, well, I don't care what you said. We're not paying it because we don't owe it. Verse 27, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea and cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. If first comes up, that must mean there's others that are going to come up. Cast a hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for, the, for me and thee. Folks, I got to show, I got to tell you something. The principle here is very simple. You serve God and he'll help pay your taxes. Believe it or not, it's up to you. But here's the point that I want you to see. The point that I want you to see is when it came to the principle of the word, when it came to the truth of the word, Jesus was absolutely unmovable. When it came to lifestyle, he was flexible. Chapter 18, verse 1, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Come on, guys. Seriously? I guess it shows that their disciples were real people, doesn't it? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now there's a lot of things we could talk about, characteristics of children and what is Jesus talking about, but the fact that he identifies humility is the, the outstanding characteristic here of the child that he's talking about to come unto God. He says, you've got to humble yourself. In other words, you don't get it your way. You accept the things the way God has set them up. Folks, humility is the receiving attitude. To stand and say, Father, your word says that healing is mine, therefore I receive it, is not arrogance, it's humility. Arrogance is to say the very idea that those faith people think you can just demand healing. That's arrogance. That's pride. What the Bible calls humility is a willingness to take it the way God said it was. And the Bible says that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you're healed. Now, no matter what you think about that, that's true. If you want it to be real in your life, then you have to humble yourself and say, you know, Father, I can't do this on my own, so I just accept your word. It's true. That's humility. Yet it's just the opposite of what the church calls it. The church says that's arrogance. The church says that's somebody demanding of God. 
Well, if God didn't mean it, why did he say it? We're just being humble enough to accept what God said is truth and receive it into our lives. That's what humility is, folks. Okay. Whosoever therefore, verse 4, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But... Verse 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Offenses apparently matter to God. He's saying it's better to lose your life here than to offend someone who is humbling himself to receive from God. In other words, he's saying, if you do or say something in your life is a matter of your lifestyle, he's not talking about principle of the word. That that's fixed and set. That's what we build our house, or build the house on the rock on. That's the example of building our life upon the rock of God's word. So he's not talking about that. So what is he talking about? He's talking about lifestyle. He's saying if you in any way live a lifestyle that causes an offense to someone that is believing me, if it hurts them spiritually in their innocence it would be better for you that your life was cut off now folks that sounds like a pretty serious consequence to me verse 7 woe unto the world because of offenses for if it must needs be that offenses come but woe to that man by whom the offense comes offenses are going to come but don't let them come through you Again, he's talking lifestyle. He's not talking the principle of the word. When it came to the principle of the word, Jesus didn't care who he offended. He stuck with the word. And you should too. It doesn't matter if your family turns against you. It doesn't matter if your friends turn against you. It doesn't matter if everybody turns against you. If you know you're standing strong with the word, stay with it. God will give you another family and other friends and so forth. But when it comes to lifestyle, Sounds to me like we ought to be examining ourselves to make sure not, we're not doing anything or living in such a way that causes a problem for others that might be weaker in the faith than us. What's he saying? He's saying your rights are not the key issue. Jesus has just shown us he had the right not to pay the tax, but his example was we'll pay it anyway so that we don't offend him. That's what this is all connected to, folks. Verse 8, wherefore... If thy hand or thy foot offend you, cut them off and cast them from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do also behold the face of my Father which is in heaven." For the Son of Man is come to save that which is lost. Now, the rest of the 18th chapter is about the same thing. It's about forgiveness. It's about operating or living a lifestyle that does not cause offense. Everything about the 18th chapter is how to not offend. And the principle that he starts with is it doesn't matter what your rights are. The question is, will it offend somebody else? But what's the argument in the church today? The argument is about what are our rights.
What do people want to do? People want to try to find how close to the edge of sin I can get and still be okay. Is it okay if I smoke? Is it okay if I drink? Is it okay if I get tattoos? Is it okay if I live a lifestyle, a homosexual lifestyle? It, it, won't God still love me? The question isn't, is this stuff okay? The Bible's pretty clear on some of those things. On other things, it's very clear that you have a right to. But the question is, what impact is it going to have on other people? Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, by verse 13, I think it is, he said, you've been called under liberty, only use that liberty as an occasion to serve one another instead of serving the flesh. Now, folks, you can say, well, this is just Pastor Mike. He's just sticking the mud. Well, when it comes to the word, I am stuck. There is no question about that. And when it comes to my lifestyle, and, and remember, we're talking two different things. When it comes to the principle of the word, I will not move off of it no matter what. If I'm the last one standing on the word before Jesus comes, I'll be okay by myself. That's how committed I am to this thing. But when it comes to lifestyle, there's a lot of things that I know, just like Paul said, I'm convinced that there's, turn with me to Romans 14. Let's let him say, say it for himself rather than me just tell you what it says. And we'll close with this. And everybody breathes a sigh of relief. Let's start in verse 13. Paul is writing by the Holy Ghost. He said, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Now, a lot of times people will jump on that and say, oh, yeah, you can't judge somebody else. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Let's read the context of what he's talking about. Let us not therefore judge one another. Most of the people I hear talking about not judging are the ones that are trying to get away or excuse their own sin. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Judge my life. You're supposed to. You're supposed to be examining my life for the kind of fruit that it's producing. If I'm not producing the fruit that the Bible says that I as a minister and as a Christian should produce, you don't need to be listening to anything I have to say. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. People that are talking about not being judged, told you the bumper sticker I saw not long ago, only God can judge me. I thought to myself, riding down the road, I thought to myself, there is a sinning fool. And that's what that bumper sticker meant to me. I don't know what they intended, but that's what it said to me. It said, I can do whatever I want to do, and nobody can judge me except God. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible says that shouldn't be our attitude. It shouldn't be about rights. It shouldn't be about what can I do. The Bible says what we ought to judge is, how is what I do going to affect the other guy? Is it going to offend one of these little ones that believe in me, that believe in Jesus? Is my lifestyle, is any behavior of mine going to create a problem for somebody else that may not know as much about God as I know, that may not know I have a right to do what I'm doing? That's the context that Paul is talking about. Let us therefore, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. If everybody lived according to that principle, we wouldn't have to judge whether somebody else is doing right or wrong. Because we would be making sure that we stayed so far away from things that could have caused an offense, it wouldn't be an issue. 
the church would live, be living a clean life. Notice verse 14. Paul said, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. Here's what Jesus showed Paul himself. That there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So what did Jesus tell Paul about lifestyle? It's not about what you have a right to do. It's about what the other guy will be offended by. But if your brother be grieved with with meat, verse 15, you remember the deal in Paul's day was eating meat offered to idols? He said, but if your brother be grieved with your meat, with the meat that you eat, that were offered that was offered unto idols in other words now walkest thou not charitably charitably means in love then you're not walking in love in other words if you're doing something that causes an offense and a a spiritual hindrance to somebody else you're not walking in love yeah but i've got a right to do it so did paul but paul said that love is not determined by your rights it's determined by the effect that it has on other people the effect that your behavior and your lifestyle has on other people Paul concludes this whole thing by saying, I'll never eat another piece of meat offered to the idols if it causes my brother to stumble, and I know it does, so I'm out. This would be stuff that he would enjoy eating, folks. But he says, I won't do it because it might cause a problem for somebody else. Verse 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth serveth Christ is acceptable unto God and approved of men. You want to be acceptable unto God? Then live a lifestyle that won't offend somebody else. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're going to be judged by your walking in love, not to the point where you just know, all right, I did this, somebody did me wrong, so I forgave them. That's not the only part of walking in love. Part of walking in love is to live in such a way that you know nothing you're doing is causing an offense to somebody else. Do you know the difference? Stop and consider this. Do you know the difference that it would make to the world if the church just started living a clean life, separate and apart from the world, so that the world could see a difference in us? No, they talk about us. The world will talk about us. But they're doing that now. So what do we got to lose? They'd say, oh, those sticking the muds, they never have any fun. Folks, you can't have more fun than the power of the God on you. You can't have more fun than the presence of God in your life. I feel sorry for people that have never experienced that because they have no idea what they're missing. But you can't get anything better than that. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I'd rather have the power of the Holy Ghost on me for 30 seconds than own the world with a fence around it. I believe he's right. I'd rather have that than anything the world has to offer. But I'm going to jeopardize my standing with God, I'm going to jeopardize my opportunity to have an influence on people by doing something that I might have a right to do, knowing that it offends them? Forgiveness is the real test of the love of God because people are going to offend us and we're going to get our feelings hurt. But forgiveness is about making a decision to let the love of God dominate us instead of walking according to how we feel. Thanks for being with us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.